Lord, your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. May it penetrate far deeper than the sharpest implement. May it expose the motivations and thoughts of our hearts, that your Holy Spirit may sanctify us in the secret places, and that in our public lives we may live lives that bring glory to you here in Boston and to the ends of the earth, because it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Our guests this morning have honored us. They have honored us by traveling over 5,000 miles to celebrate the Hawaiian Mission Bicentennial. We are privileged to participate with them in this event. And it's a historic moment as the Bible has gone forth and the Bible has come back. And as Kahu Ken has reminded us, the Lord, the creator of the universe, was in Hawaii way before the missionaries came, for he created it at his word. As minister of missions here at Park Street Church, I'm on a very steep learning curve. I have a lot of homework to do, and to be quite honest, I've been scrambling to try to grasp, to try to grapple with the immensity, the significance of this story its culture, its context, and its history. On February the 17th, 1818, Henry Obukaya lay dying in a bed in Cornwall, Connecticut. He was a world away from his homeland, and yet burning in his breast was this desire to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to his homeland. His final parting words were, oh, I want to see Hawaii. But he died, only 26, and that should have been the end of the story. But it wasn't. On October the 15th, 1819, Thomas Hopu, John Honolii, William Kanui, Prince George Kaumalii, and 14 New Englanders with their five children came to this very platform at Park Street Church by faith, praying for the new church in Hawaii. And shortly thereafter, they embarked on a journey almost six months in length, 18,000 miles by faith. Faith inspired by the infectious, charismatic, gracious life of Henry Obukaya. And a faith also inspired by his burning passion for the Word of God. It was a contemporary pastor who commented, who knew Obukaya, said the Bible was his best and constant companion. Obukaya's story and the story of the Hawaiian mission is a profoundly Hawaiian story. And it's a New England story. But it's a complex story. And it's a story that requires Hawaiian voices, Hawaiian interpretations, Hawaiian visions to correct those representations by outsiders that may be too negative or too positive. Whatever else this narrative is, it's a story of faith, by faith. The faith of Thomas Hopu and his friends, the faith of the early missionaries, the faith of the royalty, the monarchy, the faith of ordinary Hawaiians. It's a story of faith. Faith is what the ancients were commended for. 
But what is faith? Is it a pious wish? Some vain hope? I think if we were to open the scriptures in front of us today, we'd find the authors explain faith in a multifaceted way. At one level, it's that faith once for all entrusted to the saints, Jude 1.3. The Apostle Paul talks of faith as trusting in the promise. In Galatians 2.16, it is by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, that a person is made righteous before God. But faith is more than doctrine. <clears throat> it's more than trusting in the promises. It's what Andrew Murray called an organ of the soul. We have physical organs, but he talked about this faculty of perception, the spiritual muscle that enables the individual to lay hold to the invisible as seen. As Moses saw the invisible God and endured, so exercising, activating this spiritual muscle enables, enables the believer to see eternity in time and space, to in fact to discern the very footprints of God in history, in a nation, in individual lives. And it is that, that by faith that I want you to stir up this morning. I want that faith in you to be exercised and strengthened as we look together at God's Word. Hebrews 11 is a literary retrospective similar to Acts 7 or 1 Nacades 2. It's a Jewish type of literature from the first century that summarizes history to make a point by faith. If you have a Bible in front of you, I invite you to open it up at Hebrews 11. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Verse 3 by faith, we understand the universe was created at God's command. Verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. Verse 6, without faith, we cannot please God. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, when warned of things not yet visible, in holy fear built an ark to save his family, and by faith condemned the world. Verse 8, by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later inherit as his inheritance, obeyed and went. It's hammered home. By faith. And the King James Version has the substance of things hoped for. That's the objective reality of the eternity in time. That objective reality that captures this chapter far better than other translations talking about assurance or confidence. It's exercising that spiritual muscle to lay hold of eternity in time. Well, what's an example of by faith? We've considered this morning the Hawaiian missionaries, but from our text in verse 7, there's a similar example perhaps of Noah. By faith, Noah, when warned of things not yet visible, built an ark to save his family, and by faith condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Noah built the ark. 
The Hawaiian missionaries had Thaddeus. You can see a picture of it in our Okinge lobby. The Pilgrim Fathers in 1620 had the Mayflower arriving in Plymouth Rock. Different ships, different histories. Experts tell us the Ark was probably four times the size of the Mayflower. An extraordinary achievement for the ancient world. Yet all of them were united by faith, exercising this spiritual muscle. Noah is the first person in the Bible to be described as righteous, not self-righteous, righteous. Not that he had any intrinsic merit to make him favorable in God's sight. We know from Genesis 9 that he got drunk and exposed himself. His righteousness came because he took God at his word. The Lord had told him in Genesis 6, the earth is filled with violence. Behold, I will destroy it. Make yourself an ark. Noah took God at his word, and it had consequences. The first consequence was that it saved his family. They were rescued from the deluge. And we might say the early missionaries, too, brought salvation. The Lord had prepared the soil. As we've heard, in 1820, the one monarch had passed away, a new monarch was on the throne. He had abolished the traditional religious system. And we hear the story of a pagan priest, Hiwahiwa, who gave a prophecy very similar to Balaam in the Old Testament or the Magi in the New Testament. And God does this in history across the world. He uses a pagan priest to give that prophecy that something good would come, the good and true and great God would come. In fact, at that very intersection, that very point where the religious temple was, the site of traditional Hawaiian religion. And then, as we've heard, over 20 years, the Bible was completed. Over 900 schools were established and churches proliferated and literacy skyrocketed. And the evangelized became evangelists to the neighboring islands. Noah's faith had another consequence. By faith, he condemned the world. In trying to do my homework, I came across a story that is perhaps very well known to our guests this morning, but it was new to me and perhaps it's new to others. It was the, the account of some British sailors who accused one of the missionaries of libel and defamation of character. At issue, the sea captain had purchased a Hawaiian lady to accompany him on his travels. William Richards, the missionary, was not convinced. He saw it as blatant prostitution, sex trafficking, even slavery. The sailors were incensed. They demanded that the chiefs hand Richards over to face British justice. What fascinated me was how Richards cast himself at the mercy of the chiefs, submitting himself to the legal code that was prevalent in Hawaii. And in colloquial Hawaiian, he said, if I'm a bad man or have broken the laws of your country, it is for you to try me, acquit me, or to condemn me. You only are my judges. It is for you 
to send me from these shores. It is for you to protect me here. For with you is my life, and with you is my death. Richards was acquitted. I don't know what happened to the sailors, but I understand at that time, slavery was a capital offense. It was faith that condemned the world. Well, what does that all matter anyway? By faith, living by faith. We know from our text that verse 6 says, without faith we cannot please God. We know from chapter 10 that without faith we shrink back. Hebrews was a community in crisis. It was a Christian church that had plateaued, that was filled with inertia. There was apathy, dullness to the word of God. They didn't shrink back if they had faith. All this is true to honor that original spirit of faith of Henry Obukai and others. But there's more. Faith matters because it defines our identity. Noah, Abraham, Obukai, the missionaries, such a variety of people. And yet their identity was shaped by faith. It was the second century letter in Greek to Diogenetus that described believers as those who bear the full responsibilities of citizens and endure all hardships as strangers. Every homeland is a stranger land for them, and every strange land is a homeland for them. Their existence is on earth, but their citizenship in heaven. You and I may define ourselves racially or ethnically or politically or sociologically, and yet for these, their primary means of identification was as followers of the way. Until their dying death, in verse 13, he said, all these were still living. When they died, they had not received the promise. They only saw it at a distance and welcomed it. They admitted they were aliens and strangers on earth. They were pilgrims, not settlers, refugees, not residents. That's how they saw themselves on earth. And yet faith also motivates and drives us in our mission. It's a glorious thing to look back at our past, to see the works of God, to see the fingerprints of God in history. Yet our mission is greater. Our mission is not found in an old building. It's not found in a history book. It's found in a person. The one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The one who was born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, died, crucified, buried. On the third day, rose to new life, ascended at the right hand of the Father, reigning, ruling, interceding for his people, and one day at an hour, a time we do not know, to return in glory, to judge the living and the dead. It is faith in him that causes people to take risks, an 18,000-mile journey 200 miles years ago, or to cast oneself at the mercy of others, or, as we've heard, to disciple the nations, because all authority, all power, all honor, all glory is given to the royal son, to the exalted one who is the radiance of God's glory, who upholds the universe by the word of his power. It is an obedience and love and passion to him that we are to engage in endeavors 
of the gospel, of the word of life. And so for us here at Park Street Church, we are to become a welcome center for visitors, a welcome center for those from other cities across this nation, from other states, from other countries, a welcome center that freely offers the bread of life, that freely offers living water. And we are to become a launch pad, humbly, collaboratively, thoughtfully, with our brothers and sisters from all around the world in endeavors of the gospel, to see it translated linguistically, philologically, culturally, anthropologically, but translated primarily in the heart, in the motivations and the drives of the heart, at the center of the personalities of all the tribes, all the nations of the world. And why? So that the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Let's bow our heads and pray. Almighty God, we are not worthy to come into your presence. We are not worthy to carry your word to the ends of the earth. We're not worthy to eat the crumbs under your table. Have mercy on us. Bless the peoples of Hawaii. Bless the peoples of Boston. And fan the flame of faith that we may not shrink back, but humbly move with you in the power of the gospel. For Jesus' sake, amen.